2: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Blonde.
0: A kiss on the hand. How'd you get your start?
3: Maybe. What start?
0: In movies.
3: Bicontinental. But diamonds are a girl's best friend. I guess I was discovered. Men blow home as girls I know you're supposed to get used to it. And we all lose our in the end. But I just can't. Square cut or pear shape. These I've played Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn doesn't exist. When I come out of my dressing room, I'm Norma Jean. I'm still hurt when the camera is rolling.
0: on the
2: screen, all right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Blonde, and the story is as follows a look at the rise to fame and the epic demise of actress Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest stars in the world. The film is starring Anna de Armas, Adrian Brody, Bobby Cannaval, Xavier Samuel, and Julianne Nicholson. It is written and directed by Andrew Dominic. And here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello sarah clements hello evo day hi there and dan bear
4: diamonds are a girl's best friend
2: (sighs) really that's what you decided to go with maybe daddy was a little too obvious i don't know but
4: (laughs) i wasn't gonna touch that
2: one in any event oh man i almost can't believe that we're touching this movie with this podcast review i'm like like how did we end up here uh, this movie has been long in development for quite some time now. Uh, Andrew Dominic, I want to first start off by saying that Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, great movie. Truly, a great, great movie. Killing Them Softly, highly underrated. And then he's got Blonde. <sighs> and this movie is an adaptation of a fictional novel, Uh, by Joyce Carol Oates. And it should not be taken seriously when examining the life of Marilyn Monroe, a movie star who a lot of us, and on this podcast review, definitely have a special attachment with. And what we've received here is an NC-17 rated film streaming on Netflix that had its world premiere at the Venice International Film Festival, where it received polarizing reviews. And this was to be expected. We've been hearing rumblings for a while now, but this was going to be one that would, you know, definitely split, I think, critics into separate camps, if you will. So now that we've all had a chance to watch it ourselves, whether it was at home or in the theater, what did we all think of this untraditional biopic this near three hour long untraditional biopic might I add I guess we'll start off first with Sarah Clements Sarah (sighs) I mean I kind of already know but what did you think
5: (laughs) (laughs) oh well I'm gonna start off with the things I liked about it okay we're gonna start off nice and okay crazy I guess but the cinematography very dreamy I loved it so many beautiful shots And as someone who's been a fan of Marilyn's for quite some years, I've seen a lot of photos of her. And there were many scenes in the film that were like perfect recreations of certain pictures of her from the framing and Anna's body, how she's positioned, which I was like, um, I love that. And as well as the recreations of various outfits, uh, makeup, hairstyling, and scenes from her films. And I was surprised that I didn't find it as graphic as I had interpreted from other reviews.
2: That's the thing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the pre-hype of this movie probably built up in our minds, I think, maybe a little bit too much over time. Because I, I too, had a similar reaction to the, you know, the, the gratuitous nature of the movie in terms of its, like, graphic content. I was actually expecting it to be more intensely hardcore, let's just say.
5: Yeah. And I'm wondering if like we kind of got that perception also from this stuff like Netflix was like, oh, we can't have this. And then they like cut out a bunch of things.
2: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stuff was cut out of this movie.
5: <laughs> Didn't Netflix say this is too like graphic and we got to cut stuff out of it because we don't want it on our platform. I do know
2: way? that uh, when Andrew Dominic handed in his cut to Netflix, they pretty much turned to him and were like, dude, what, what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> we can't show this.
5: <laughs> I think that's where I got that from. I thought it was gonna be more graphic than it was.
2: I'm I'm being sarcastic, by the way.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but also I thought Anna de Armas did a fairly good job, even though she's just, you know, crying most of the time. I still think Michelle Williams is the superior portrayal.
2: From uh from my week with Marilyn?
5: Yes. Even though that's also fictional, but you know, whatever. <laughs> what it, honestly, when it comes to her? But um, I knew this was going to be bad from the very beginning in terms of like facts and stuff, because when I started, you know, getting into Marilyn and asking, what should I read and what shouldn't I read? Joyce's book was always like at the top. So I was aware there's going to be a lot of liberties taken, Um, but I was shocked by, you know, still shocked by the rape scene and all those abortions, which play like a pro-life propaganda with all those random fetus shots for some reason. And I felt like there was barely any focus on her career, which was like one of the aspects of her life she was most proud of and the one she took very seriously. And it was just so trauma focused and Honestly, pretty depressing. And it felt like what you learned about her was really one note. And they could have removed, like, all the scenes with random men. She didn't even know, like, Chaplin and Robinson Jr. And replaced it with, you know, other aspects of her life of actual significance. And it does feel, you know, exploitative, as many have said. Like, she's treated like just a body to be probed at. With, um, and also the film acting like a studio publicity machine making all these things up. So by the time last half came, which is just a slog to get through, I felt like I was like drowning in a dark pit of despair. And I just really wanted the movie to be over. It's exhausting, you guys. Like, don't even watch it.
2: <laughs> okay. Strong opening words. Let's hear next from Josh Parham. Josh, what did you think of Blonde?
6: So, I would say that first walking into the movie, I have just such a huge respect for Andrew Dominic as a filmmaker. Assassination uh, Assassination of Jesse James is definitely one of my all-time favorite movies, like of all, all all-time favorite films. So anything he does, I'm going to be very much interested in. And this movie... (laughs) This is really testing the limits of that, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And what I will (laughs) say about this film is that I do think that there are moments in it that are effective. I think that there are some, I mean, yes, there are some moments of imagery in this that are very graphic for sure, but I also think it does capture some, I don't want to say beautiful imagery because that's not the right word, but it does, it is very striking to me. And that's the side of Dominic that I really do like. And I think when you pair that with, and an performance there are some moments in here that did really get to me that i thought were very effective from an emotional standpoint the problem for this movie though is that the narrative is just way all over the place it is very scattershot it doesn't have any focus it just goes in all these different directions and it just feels like we can never get a sense of what the movie is actually trying to say about Marilyn, and that from a storytelling perspective, is incredibly frustrating, and I definitely agree with that. But on the whole, I think there's enough in this movie that I did appreciate from a craft and from an acting perspective that even though it is very imperfect, I kind of was able to go along with it for the most part. So it's not like a glowing recommendation for me by any means, but I I found enough in here that I was able to, as I said, to sort of go with the overall intention, as flawed as it is. And I I came out of it like slightly positive, not great, but slightly positive.
2: All right, we're getting a range of opinions here already. Two people in, I'm liking this. Uh, Let's kick it over next to Evo Day.
1: Well, I contain a range of reactions to this film just within myself. Uh, you mentioned the word polarizing when discussing the Venice uh, Film Festival audience, and I think that is a really good way to describe my reaction to this film. Not to say that I'm neutral, because that's how I describe Don't Worry Darling, because that film left me feeling very flat because of how you know predictable and uh, uninteresting I found it. This film, on the other hand, has just completely pulled me apart by half of it sort of dazzling me and really enthralling me and other parts that were incredibly disturbing. But I don't know if I would go as far as to say that I didn't like. I was really surprised to find myself halfway through this film being like really entranced by it. And that was despite all the flaws it had, because I've honestly never seen a movie like this. and regardless of what my final reaction to it is, I'll always have reverence for a film and a filmmaker that does something completely new and completely unseen. If he did it, if it was completely effective and hit the nail on the head, no, probably not. But if we don't allow filmmakers to make these sort of bold moves, then the art form will never progress. So in that way, I do sort of appreciate the film's existence in being a completely unique examination of a very familiar figure. Like, we've never seen Marilyn portrayed this way. Now, of course, I haven't read the book, so maybe if you have read the book, this wasn't as much of a shock to you. But it's not even so much that I'm praising the film, because there were parts that I hated, number one being the fetuses talking or otherwise, which we'll talk about later, <laughs> Uh the cinematography, the uh, photography of the the scenes were all gorgeous, except for the fact that there was an extensive amount of inconsistency when it comes to the scenes being in color or in black and white. There really didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason behind that, unless someone has managed to decode that. But I don't think I've ever left a film being so unsure of whether I thought it was a disaster or a masterpiece. and. Two, three days later, I'm still completely at a loss for how to really define my feelings about it. Like, I'm I'm quite, I, it was a, quite effective to me. Good or bad, I'm not sure. Now, in terms of De Armas, I have to disagree with Sarah. I think she ran circles around Williams in this performance. I thought it was quite literally brilliant. I think she basically did a magic trick the whole time. I feel like I should cut myself off before I get too far. <laughs>
2: it's okay. We'll, we'll definitely touch upon all these uh, points at some point here in this review, for sure. Okay.
1: Much to talk about. Much to think about.
2: <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. We're going to work out our feelings here together as a group. Okay. <laughs> Dan Baer, I saw this with you. Yeah, you did. And I remember turning to you right before the lights went down and I said, what if I like it? <laughs> and then the movie started.
4: We were both like, oh my God. What will happen to us if we actually like this movie, and then we left the theater at the end? I don't think you could get out of there fast.
2: I was so I like ran (laughs) for the exit. I'm
4: not gonna lie. You were
0: upset.
2: Yeah, I was. I was confounded and confused and emotionally grappling with it. I still am, like Eve, in a lot of ways.
4: I marinated on it for a while, and I have to say. The further away I get from this movie, the less I like it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that.
4: I do think that especially in the moment, there are so many bold, strange um, and frankly really cool artistic choices with the um, with the cinematography style and the especially the score. I love this score. And what Anna de Armas is doing. I kind of agree with Eve. I think she pulled some kind of magic trick. Whatever she was doing, communing with Marilyn's spirit worked because there are some images <laughs> in this movie where it is uncanny
0: yeah. how
4: much she looks like her. I mean, sp- specifically in this sequence where they're doing the shooting of some like at Hot, like, oh my God, that, that, that is deep fake level good. Like, yeah, I tricky. legit thought it was Marilyn, and then realized, like, oh my god, no, that's that's Anna, and holy fuck, I think she's incredible throughout this movie. I actually really liked Adrian Brody, too, but he's literally the only other character in this movie that has anything of interest to do besides Marilyn, and god, just... It, it has been a long time since I've read Blonde, the novel, so I don't remember a lot of the details. I I don't, I feel like I could accurately say how quote-unquote faithful of an adaptation it is, but I know there is a lot that they cut out. But in terms of, like, just getting at the the themes and feeling of the book, <sighs> the thing about Blonde, the novel, is that it is this really, whatever you else you think of it, it is a very rich reimagining re-ima- of Marilyn's inner life. And this movie, her inner life is just mommy and daddy issues. That's it. And in both real life and in the novel, Marilyn was so much more than that. And there are these moments when they try to zero in on the whole Norma Jean Marilyn uh, dynamic and how they really, it really is almost like two different people like vying for one body and soul, but they don't do nearly enough of that. They sort of like pay lip service to it a couple of times and that's it. And that would have been a much more interesting movie and much more compelling to watch for as long as this is than, you know, (laughs) literally daddy issues the movie.
2: Yeah, it is a disappointment, right? To have such a, there's such rich potential here. Mm. And to have it boil it down to something as simplistic and redundant as that. And to stretch it out, too, for two hours and 46 minutes. It is
4: so long, my God.
1: Yeah. Is it bad that I didn't feel like it was that long <laughs> when I was watching Oh,
2: when Sarah was saying before that the third act is a slog, I completely felt that. There was yeah. so many shots, so many, where I was like, oh, that's got to be the last shot of the film. And then it kept going. And I just was like completely beside myself.
1: Yeah. Hey Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on
3: sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. see you soon
1: i will say i think josh was that you that or, oh no sorry it was dan that said like the more i get away from it the less i like it i think giving because I have the ability to sort of critique it and look back on it, I probably feel the same way. I I can say that I saw it in a, I saw it actually at the Tiff Bell Lightbox in a almost completely empty theater, which I was really surprised wow. by. I would have, well, not completely empty, but considering how big the theater was, I would have thought this was like a hot ticket because, you know, you're only going to get to see this on the big screen a few times.
2: Yeah, when Dan and I saw it in New York, it was almost full. full. Yeah, yeah, so mm-hmm.
1: I did feel, I was alone. And I did, I wasn't sat next to anyone. So I would almost say that the like apparatus experience that I had contributed to the in moment enjoyment I had of it because I was alone. I was surrounded by darkness. So there was this sort I mean, I mean, that's literally seeing a movie, but like that probably helped. I think I would have had a completely different reaction to this movie if I'd seen it with another person. I'm also thinking about, you know, when this comes out on Netflix in two days and I'm not in a theater and I'm not seeing it with this um, with this surround sound and stunning pictures, you know, 20 feet tall above in front of me. And I just see it on a little screen in front of me. Will that greatly change the way I react to this film? The answer is probably yes. I will probably because it doesn't have the dazzlement of the visuals, that's not a word, I just made it up, because the <laughs> visuals won't be as striking on my computer screen, will the flaws of the movie be amplified? Maybe. We'll see. I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this movie again.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if I can ever bring myself to watch this again.
1: I, I think, I don't think I'll like sit down and watch the whole thing, but I could see myself going back and watching specific moments and seeing if the reaction I have to them is changed at all.
2: I could see myself taking four screenshots, posting them on Twitter and saying, hashtag one perfect shot. (laughs) (laughs) But that might be the most I ever revisit this movie because I echo what was said earlier. The cinematography in this movie, I think is the best I've seen so far this year, even though the choice to shoot some certain things in color and certain things in black and white, whoever said before there's like no rhyme or reason to it. Um, after a certain period of time, I too just surrendered myself over and stopped trying to figure it out because I really do think like Andrew Dominic just like probably walked on set each day and was like, oh, I'm in the mood for this chaos. And that's it,
1: directorial chaos. Or, or
2: maybe, I mean, I doubt this, but like maybe it was just something they did in, in editing, maybe, and they did it just for certain
4: shots. Mm. I, I don't know. Either. I don't think you could do that.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, you there's some moments that make sense. Like, you know, this the Sun Like It Hot being in black and white. Obviously, that movie's in black and white. But the seven-year itch is a color film. So why that scene with the dress is in black and white is, beyond it, just looking amazing, is a, a question that I don't know the answer to. <laughs>
2: some of the imagery in this is truly outstanding. Yes. I mean, I knew right from the very beginning when... Her and her mom, played by Julianne Nicholson, uh, and Marilyn oh, Monroe's, played by a young a young girl, uh, Lily Fisher. They're driving through uh, oh, California yeah. like on fire. Gorgeous. I, I knew right then and there. I was like, "Wow, this has like some really high production value uh, that I was not expecting."
1: <laughs> I despised the beginning of this film. I'm so, I don't blame the ac- Julianne Nicholson. That's her name. Yeah. I thought what she was doing was so weird. And I really didn't like what her character was doing. I I realized she's supposed to be obviously mentally unwell. But the whole bit with her as a child, I was like, I really want this part to be over. You know, I'm always very wary of films that make children a lot more, uh, like, adult-like than they're supposed to be. Like, the way she was... She just had like a level of understanding that most children don't. I I just really was happy that that got left behind once we were done with it.
2: Not to mention, too, like a lot of other sequences in this movie, it went on way longer than it probably should have. Like, that was like what a 20 25 minute sequence in the movie alone,
0: really? Um, Yeah,
6: probably. Yeah, I give it, it goes on for so long, and it also really. Isn't that deep in terms of its commentary, which is also the other big problem (laughs) I have with this movie is that for as long as it is, the commentary that it eventually comes to in every scene is so incredibly shallow. And that does not justify the length that this movie feels like it needs to have to tell this story, because we really get very surface level details about who Marilyn is as a character and what has motivated her decisions and her station inside this very toxic industry. Like we kind of get it right away. And it seems like the movie is so determined to be as artistically expressive as it can to showcase this theme. But there's only so much you can do until it starts to feel very tiresome. Mm-hmm.
2: I feel like my mantra of a 2022 has literally been all year It did not need the three hours to tell the story it wanted to tell. (laughs) I feel like I've said this like five times this year already.
5: Um, I feel like a lot of this, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like if the dialogue had been stronger, a lot of these things could have been cut out. like I would have loved to have heard her talk about her mom. Like how was this experience for her instead of like all these really long like sequences, you know?
2: Yeah, no, because she never really does actually vent and express to anyone what it was like growing up with uh her mom well, like,
4: she tries for a second with joe Maggio.
2: it's so fleeting though
4: but i kind of loved that scene in particular because she is opening up to him on like a person-to-person level and you watch her watch him get less and less interested the more she is norma jean and then she just goes right back to pouring on Marilyn and suddenly he's all into her. I thought that was a really, really powerful moment. But again, they didn't do like anything else with that duality except nod to it like here and there. If they had continued that throughout, that could have been really something.
2: I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that uh, as Josh was saying, that kind of just a shallow look at here is this really gorgeous, really talented individual that's in the film industry. And and the industry had never seen anybody like her up until this point. And of course, she is objectified. She was objectified by the media. She was objectified by uh, the people who idolized and, and like watched her on posters and billboards and everything else. And then, you know, the film obviously is going to be a commentary on that. And I know that that's like the intention that they were setting out to do here was to show just how uh, misogynistic like the industry is like towards not not just even her, but just women in general. Uh, but the problem though with this is that it doesn't say anything new. It doesn't have anything revelatory to say or anything to just add to the already... Uh, It talked about conversation that we're having and not just in movies, but in all forms of life outside of even media, things in the workplace and elsewhere. So I I feel like this movie is just it's one of those cases where it thinks it has something very important to say, but it really... (sighs) It, it, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep coming back to this. It did not need two hours and 46 minutes to say it. That, like, it literally could no. have expressed all of its themes in, like, 100 minutes. Absolutely. Easily.
6: Yes, That that is the thing that I come back to also, that I think if this movie was shorter, I don't think that the shallowness would necessarily be as big of a problem. But because it takes so much time to just ponder in these somber moments, it's like you just really start to feel that length. And, oh my God, like, I think there's a there's a scene in this movie where Marilyn comes to a decision to not do something because she sees a stop sign. Like, oh like my that God. is the level of emotional complexity <laughs> the movie is working with. And when you stretch that out over two hours and 45 minutes, it's like you really feel the tedium of that storytelling. And if it had been condensed, I still would have had issues with the shallowness, but at least it would have felt like we were moving along at a more quicker pace. And I could then enjoy some of the more Um, visual aesthetics, I I could appreciate that aspect more, even though the storytelling was lacking.
2: You know how many movies I've seen that are short, that are like 90 minutes long, and they're pure shit, but my mentality at the end of it is, well, at least you didn't waste my time.
6: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of time wasting in this movie.
1: I have a question for people who have read Blonde. Um, Does Joyce Carol Oates specifically name the films that she was in, or are they kind of just like alluded to? I just want to know, like, to what degree, well, what kind of liberties Andrew Dominic took because the film really does try to have its cake and eat it too about it being a fictionalized biopic while still using extremely identifiable moments in her life, like the titles of her films and the Mm -hmm. people, like Billy Wilder. Like, they could have just been the director, but they specifically name him. Like, there's a character named Billy Wilder. And you know the she mentions jane russell it's not a fictitious hollywood but her story within the film is is fictitious kind of so that's why i'm wondering in the book does she use those the names of those movies
4: i, I don't remember about the. i don't think she uses the names of the movies but i do know that for the other like main characters quote unquote they're all you Go by pseudonyms like right, Joe right. DiMaggio is like the baseball player or something, mm-hmm. and they're not named.
2: Not the case here. I mean, you have Bobby Cannavale playing Joe mm-hmm. DiMaggio. You yep. have Adrian Brody as Arthur Miller.
1: Yeah, I know they they the the name Arthur Miller Miller comes up in like a graphic when it announces their marriage. That's that's just why I'm mm-hmm. wondering because it is trying to strike a weird balance between you know trying to get away with liberties you know like her affair with the uh charlie chaplin jr and edward g robinson jr which as far as i can tell never happened but then also being like well this is about marilyn monroe because look here's her on the set of uh some like it hot and seven year age
2: which once again huge section of the movie <laughs> it's incredible how long some of these sections are yeah um uh, Sarah, I, I want to ask you actually maybe an in indirect response to Eve's questioning here. I mean, in terms of your own research and familiarity with Marilyn Monroe, are there any specifics that you could point to in this movie that you know right out of the gate that are not true versus what is true?
5: On the topic of like films, she did never she never like lost her shit on the set of *Some Like it Hot*. And she mm-hmm. was also pregnant during filming, so, mm-hmm. like, she would have been, like, happy and shit. Like, I'm pregnant again, but, like, here it's, like, it happened right after her miscarriage and she's having outbursts. Whatever. So, <laughs> I know that's not true. And I've also never read the names Marilyn Monroe, Charlie Chaplin Jr., and Edward Jean Robinson in the same sentence before. So I
4: <laughs>
5: no, I did uh,
1: check. That That was fictitious. <laughs>
4: Although awesome, I, I
2: was going to say it was
6: very fictitious. Yeah.
2: It was pretty, it was pretty hot. I have to admit, their sequence, their sequences together, like the montage of them, the way that that was shot in slow motion with the oh, it was um,
4: super refracted. I- what do you, what would you call it, like the smearing? Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Oh,
1: that was really cool. Oh, I forgot about that. But also, like, why?
4: There's
2: like so much striking imagery in this movie. Yeah. I mean, and I also want to like throw a little bit of uh, credit towards. Not so much the editing in terms of pacing, because obviously I have a lot of issues with that. But some of the editing transitions in this movie really made my jaw drop. Like the shot of her uh, kind of leaning over Niagara Falls. Yeah. Holy
4: shit. That was gorgeous. I
1: was going to bring that up. That, that part was lovely. And the moment when they're, the three of them are on a beach late at night and they're completely in, illuminated by some non-existent light source. I was like, great. I love that. <laughs> it makes no sense, but it looks awesome. <laughs>
5: you know Got what it. shot I really love and I can't stop thinking about is her among the roses and then it gets ruined by a stupid fetus. Yeah. i like, this was so beautiful. <laughs> I,
2: I cannot believe... I, I knew about the talking fetus because of the Venice uh, reactions. I remember a couple people tweeting that. So I, I was expecting a talking fetus at some point in this movie. But what I did not expect was it to be a reoccurring thing in the movie to the oh point where whether intentional or not like I'm sorry Andrew Dominic it does not matter if you didn't intend this what people are taking away from your movie is that it is anti-abortion yes and that is very disturbing considering everything that is happening right now in our country and then on top of that is also at odds I think with the pro-feminist message that this movie was trying to put out
4: yeah <laughs> The earlier sequences where she is forced to undergo abortion, like, it's about her right to choose being taken away from her. That is the, like, horrible thing.
2: I got that part of it in the beginning.
4: Yeah, exactly, in the beginning. And then it just keeps going, and then the fetus says, Mommy, don't kill me. And I'm just like, oh, oh, God.
1: And I'm necessarily upset with them deciding to explore that storyline because as we know now forced abortions were a thing in the studio system Mm -hmm. it's certainly the way it's portrayed especially with the like visual representation of you know i'm not a scientist by any means what appeared to be quite overdeveloped fetuses, considering how pregnant she was, if I'm wrong about that, I, I will completely admit that. But that those sort of animated graphics that are very often used by pro-life protesters was, you know, it was upsetting.
2: Yeah, it was definitely the moment of the movie. Uh, there were two moments in the movie that made me upset. That was one of them. And then the second moment was the scene with her and John F. Kennedy.
4: I mm-hmm. That yeah,
2: didn't make me upset. yeah, that was. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what made me upset. It wasn't so much that the scene ex- itself existed; it was the fact that they chose to hold on that close-up of Anna De Armas for so long. Well, like uncomfortably long. Well,
6: they it... did. I think it was the point to
2: be a little bit uncomfortable, yeah. and then I get that. But at the same time, considering the rest of the movie that's surrounding her, once again, that's already like littered with problems. Sure. It just it
6: it didn't help. I, I mean, my sort of semi-defense of that moment and not to say that i think it was justified completely but i can understand the mentality of especially how you get that moment of yes her close-up during that act and then you see it in the movie theater i get thematically what he's going for like yes it's a little on the nose but i i understand it i have a bigger problem with the aftermath of it in which she is violently assaulted, which thankfully we don't see, but we see the aftermath of it. That to me is what felt very unnecessary.
2: Oh, I I'm throwing that in there with this as well. Yeah. Like, like there just came this whole section of the movie where with the the fetus stuff coupled along with that, like it's like the longer this movie went on, the more issues I had with it. And that's also like where uh, all of a sudden, like, Anna Armis's dialogue gets, like, really, just for some bizarre reason, uh, belittled down to her saying, Daddy, like, every other line. And I just, like, kept thinking to myself, you know, this movie, like, in its first act, and like, s- its second act, sort of in some parts, like, I was sort of on board with it. And now it's just, like, I, I don't know what they're doing anymore at this point.
1: From a visual standpoint, there was a very, and again, it's coupled with a really upsetting moment. It's sort of sandwiched in between the moment with Jane AFK and then her third abortion. There's a moment where she's in her house, and it's like night vision cameras, and there's p- these people coming in her house. Yeah. It's like a nightmare. And I will say, mm-hmm. regardless of the thematic intent of that scene, was so effective in being genuinely terrifying. And I'm yeah. guessing it's some sort of, you know, I don't know the, the technical aspects, some sort of thermal camera. So you can see the veins in her chest. You, her skin is literally see-through. It was horrifying. And I that was just one moment I just want to highlight as being visually extremely effective.
4: Yeah. At that point, I'm really sorry to say, because that was a really strikingly shot scene. But at that point, the movie had lost nearly all its goodwill with me
0: yeah, because Mm -hmm. it was
4: going on for so long with nothing interesting to say and saying it in the least subtle, most forceful, most painfully forcible way possible that I, at that point I got there like, okay, this is the conspiracy to kill her. I please tell me we're ending soon.
1: Yeah. Considering that, this film is so obsessed with her daddy issues and the whole the quote that keeps repeating Norma Jean that man is your father because I I remember this that the man that her mom is referring to in the photograph of course not not in this film that's just an actor but in real life apparently the man that they were referring to was Clark Gable that she had a picture of Clark Gable in her house and said that that was Norma that was Marilyn's father and of course Marilyn and Clark Gable starred in their respective last film together, The Misfits, which was written by Arthur Miller. So that would have been such an interesting conclusion to this story if they had actually used a picture of Clark Gable to like have cast an actor. Again, that would be taking maybe a liberty away from the book that it's based on, but I was thinking about that. Like, how interesting is that connection that her mother is, you know, lying to her about her? parentage and then she ends up meeting and working with that man on her last film
2: i mean not gonna lie without even knowing that it was clark gable he was one of the names that popped in my head as like the potential
1: yeah
2: uh father that she that the movie never reveals by the way oh
1: no the the image that they use in this film is like i have no idea who that was supposed to be it kind of looked like howard hughes Right. But I don't know who it was supposed to be.
2: I, I I don't know what they were going for with it either, necessarily. I know that um
5: it looked like her real father to me from pictures I have seen of him. Oh really? He wears like his hat like that and he has like a mustache. There's this one photo. I can send it to you guys in the group chat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <You know. laughs>
5: But no, what Eve was saying, like, I would have loved to have seen that dynamic. Like I said, just show more of her movies. And that would have been a great thing to show instead of the dad up in the clouds and some stupid editing trick. I don't know. That was so
2: like, I can't (laughs) believe we never actually got a scene between her and her father. Like, I'm sorry, but from just a screenwriting standpoint, how do you build up this like Ugh, this is like her primary motivation throughout the entire movie. Cause as we said, this movie boils itself down to daddy issues. How do you not then at least like towards the end of the movie, even if it's completely fake, it's a dream or whatever. How do you deprive the audience of a one-on-one conversation between those two? You know,
1: I don't know if I feel the same way about that.
2: Yeah. It just, but, it, but, but, but I guess what I'm saying here is that once again, you have all this buildup and just hammering these themes in to what end to what end
4: it's just cruelty after cruelty to heap onto Marilyn in this movie and like i mean wow you really thought you were doing something there andrew dominic huh
2: yeah i wanted something just like even if it's not the best thing i wanted something
1: can i mention something before i forget this film had one of my ultimate modern pet peeves, which was sporadic, inconsistent, and aesthetically ugly title cards. <laughs> Completely unnecessary, inconsistent, visually unattractive. And oh my God, the title card for this movie was so ugly. <laughs> When it was like blonde and it, the the script got like progressively more crude, I was like, "Oh God, take that off the screen! It's ha- It's awful! It's terrible!" I guess no one else felt as strongly about that.
2: You you're the only one that ever gets like hung up on like posters and title stuff. I I whatever.
4: <laughs> I did I did not love the title card. I, I get what they were going for i guess but like
1: <laughs> the most uh, offensive part of the movie i'm just kidding <laughs> oh no <laughs> just kidding
2: all right we got to talk about Anna's uh, armis i know that we talked about like how uncanny she is in certain scenes uh number one was the accent a bother for anybody no and number no. two <laughs> uh okay well glad we got that cleared up but uh number number two this is for me I feel like Anna de Armas did the best that she absolutely could, but I think Andrew Dominic, not his screenplay, but I think his direction failed her because she cries in almost every single scene of this movie. And in order for that performance, I think, to be the most dramatically effective as it possibly could be, there needs to be some sort of a gradual... Uh increase in heightened emotion throughout. So that this way, by the time we get to the end, you know, you're having us go out on a high note with her performance really just making our jaws drop. But instead, she's coming out of the gate, coming hard with some harrowing scenes. And by the time you get to act two of this movie, whoever said this earlier, you're exhausted by it. You're really, really exhausted by her performance, by the narrative, literally so much of this movie. Uh, And of course, the runtime plays into that again as well. But I don't really lay the blame at her feet, uh, but I do blame him for not being able to guide this performance in a way that felt organic and gradual. And I think that is why I'm not as high on the performance as some other people
6: are.
4: See, everything you're saying there sounds more to me like a problem of the writing, actually, not the direction. I think it's absolutely the screenplay that is at fault um, Well, throughout most of the movie, but particularly in this sense. That screenplay is at a 10 all the way through. Every single scene is at a 10 emotionally. And I was never bored with this movie because of what she was doing, ever. She saved the movie for me from when it was uh, not Going so well. She was always at least doing something interesting and compelling. I do agree that she, it's not a lot of notes that she gets to play, and most of them seem to involve crying at some point. But for me, she did a really incredible job of embodying Marilyn and Jean. In- the situation she had to be
2: in. I just want to go back to that screenplay versus direction argument again here and just ask you this question. You don't think that they can take what's on the page and figure out on the day, you know what? You don't actually need to cry saying this dialogue.
4: I mean, maybe, you know what I
2: mean? Like you don't think that that's direction at that point.
4: I mean, yeah, but this is the problem. I think when you're working with directors, I mean, writers directing their own screenplay Mm -hmm. is that that was his vision for the scene. Yeah. Whether it's at the writing level or directing level, at some point, you know, either it didn't have crying in there and he said, you know what this scene really needs? Tears. Then, or he wrote it with crying and on the day on the set was like, yes, this seems right.
2: Yeah.
6: Well, I think that what it actually speaks more to for me in terms of like thinking of the directing or the writing or who's to blame in the situation. I think it's just more so the intention of very little modulation with the storytelling. And therefore her performance fits into that tone of the whole movie of just, as Dan said, not having too many notes of variation there. And yes, I do agree that in that respect, it does seem like her performance is a little, limiting in terms of how truly impactful it can be but given the material that she is working with i do find her to be very effective in her in her portrayal and i do find myself captivated by what she is doing is it the most nuanced performance no but it's also not the most nuanced film either
2: Whoever mentioned earlier, too, that Adrian Brody uh, was pretty good in this as Arthur Mil- Miller. I would have liked to have seen more of him in this fil- movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm mean, i going to disagree, about actually, about that. <laughs> yes. Oh, interesting.
1: I did like him. I obviously think that the scenes that he were, was in were the most joyful, and he's the most sympathetic character in the film, besides her, obviously. But so I can understand why you would sort of associate his performance with just like, general happiness i thought yeah. fine. i i don't have any issues with his performance personally
2: I-, I think you're onto something there i i don't think i don't disagree with you about that like he provides some of the very few good vibes that one can possibly get from this experience and so it's not a surprise to me that i would want more of that so okay yeah i, I agree
1: another interesting aspect of her life that they skipped over was that she converted to judaism when she married him could have been interesting.
2: We probably would have gotten some like Christ allegory at, at some point. Oh no. Oh
6: no.
2: <laughs> I'm just saying, like, at this point, I wouldn't put anything past Dominic here to visualize anything, you know? Yeah,
6: I don't know. I, I admit that this is more so me. I am run very hot and cold with Adrian Brody. <laughs> like, sometimes he could be really good, and then sometimes he just annoys the hell out of me. And I I just thought that he was just sort of stiff, honestly. And I get that the character, but I don't know. Just he was very uncharismatic whenever he came onto the screen, and that is actually the parts of the movie that I really started to feel the length. I just did not really care about his character, and his performance just did not move me at all. But I get that that might just be a me thing.
4: That's really interesting, actually. I I liked him because I didn't. It didn't feel like the the performance that I was expecting from Adrian Brody as Arthur Miller somehow. It was, I guess, not as big as I was expecting. Mm -hmm. He wasn't always at a 10. I think that's what I really liked about him. Like, the movie is at a 10 all all the time, and he was actually, like, modulating his performance to give, like, different levels. Well, Maybe that's what I liked about it so much.
1: Was Arthur Miller ever at a 10?
4: i probably not. I, I, don't yeah. <laughs> know I don't
1: know what his <laughs> personal uh, kind of dis- disposition was like, so I couldn't tell you. Um, I mean, it definitely doesn't tell us why they split up. It, they don't even like we don't even see them split up at all. It just like, oh, he's gone now.
2: That's the other thing, too. How in God's name at two hours and 46 minutes <laughs> long can it feel like there are scenes missing in this movie?
1: <laughs> I know. That's very
5: weird. <laughs> Yeah, the drastic Uh. jump to 1962 really just like threw me for a loop and I like forgot what year it was. And I was like, wait, where did Arthur go?
1: Like, (laughs) like,
6: very scattershot. Writing
1: misfits. Uh.
2: I want to go back to Xavier uh, Samuel uh, for a brief second too and say early on in the movie, those were actually some of my favorite scenes uh, between him and Anna de Armas. He had a very suave, charismatic like magnetic personality about him that i just found to be so alluring and i liked it when he actually popped back into the film a little a little bit later on too uh once again not many supporting performances like call attention to themselves in this to say yeah i wanted to see more of them but uh he was definitely one of them
1: yeah at first when their relationship sort of started i kind of you know rolled my eyes and was like okay this is what people were talking about when they were talking about like the excessive sexual content of this film but then i became sort of like i did enjoy the three of their scenes together we talked about like the sort of very creative way that they portrayed the sex scenes like with those weird stretchy visuals and, Nyack but, that and thing, but that's thing but
2: that's the thing too like their sex scenes weren't like the exploitive, like no, gratuitous scenes I didn't feel like.
1: Um that night, I just yeah, that Niagara Falls scene I can't get out of my head. That was so cool. Um, but talk about like wanting the whole sort of uh not knowing where it wants to be truthful to her life and making things up. Not only did she not actually have an well, she actually may have had a relationship with Charles Chaplin Jr. at a different point, but it was not a throuple. And he actually died after her. So That was completely made up. Like The whole sort of reaction she has to his passing is completely fictitious.
2: And I want to be uh, clear about something else, too, here. Uh, People will probably remember that my number one favorite film of last year was Spencer. And that was a movie that took a very public figure and played fast and loose with the facts to present what it called uh, essentially a... What they call it again, like a fable
4: A fable based on a true tragedy.
2: That's what it was. Yes. And so this should have very much have been my jam, especially with some more of the surrealist uh, imagery and some of the filmmaking techniques that were uh, utilized here. But it really seemed to lack focus. It really just felt like Andrew Dominic was given the keys to the kingdom and he didn't have anybody to rein him in.
4: Well, yeah, the thing about Spencer is it's not two hours and 46 minutes long. Right.
1: <laughs> that number is just sticking in your guys' head. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I, of you know, of course, I, I do think maybe I'm being a little harsh about saying, like, oh, well, this isn't accurate. Because obviously, that's not the point of the film to be accurate. But, you know, I just saw a film, Corsage, about Sissy of Austria. And that film, towards like the latter half, takes. Ex- extensive liberties, which I like, knew about as I was watching the film. And those definitely definitely didn't bother me because it was in keeping with the overall themes of the film and the sort of overall tone, whereas in Blonde, you know, they're extraordinarily inconsistent.
2: But I think the problem here and the reason why so many people, uh, Sarah, I think, could speak to this too a bit, is um, there's such a personal attachment to Marilyn Monroe and also to it, her life has been through enough as is it's almost like kicking her while she's down and i think that's why the response to the historical inaccuracies in this movie have been so much more extreme than what you find in some other untraditional biopics
5: yeah that's what i was watching blonde i was also thinking of spencer because i loved spencer but I know a lot of Princess Diana like fans. You could say didn't like Spencer, and I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. am I only? Do I not like blonde because I'm a Maryland fan? Like, can I look at this movie like without with separating those two things? And it was, it's just difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: So that's why I was that's I was struggling with that a lot yesterday because I was like, would I like this movie otherwise? But Spencer is just so like focused you know it knows what it's doing and this is just so all over the place i don't think i would i still wouldn't like it
2: so what i want to do at this point is i do want to get over the final thoughts uh because i think at this point we've touched upon so many different aspects that really all that's left is maybe to get into some minor specifics so um i kick it over to eve first eve is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate?
1: oh god um I could probably talk about this film for hours, <laughs> and I'm sure in the past hour that we have been talking about it, I'm sure I've contradicted myself, I'm sure I've made very little sense at some point, I'm, I've am i probably changed my mind about things since I saw it on Saturday, and in a couple days I might have completely different opinions, and that is to say that regardless of all the problems I had, I am happy with the fact that a film made today has given me that sort of dialogue within myself because i like not knowing how i feel about something it's it's exciting and it makes me think harder and it makes me look at art differently whether or not this is the best film to be having that discussion about i don't know like i said my opinions might completely change in a few days and i might be totally disgusted with it but i just I am I will take something like this over Don't Worry Darling any day. I'll always be at least an advocate for discussion about these kind of films, regardless of whether or not I actually liked it. I just do appreciate its existence. And I understand that for some people, its very existence is extremely offensive to them. And I don't want to disregard that because I understand she is a really special figure. And I am a fan of hers. And. I'm not saying that this film needed to exist, but it does. And I'm trying to have a nuanced and level, fair conversation about a film that, you know, made me uncomfortable, but also at times made me really excited.
2: Well, I don't have to say that bit anymore. Um,
1: oh. <laughs> what did I do?
2: <laughs> no, nothing. Uh, I think Dan, Sarah and Josh, who, you know, have been on more shows with me than you, Eve, uh, know me well enough to know that. At some point on this podcast, I was probably going to mention something along the lines of, hey, you know, I love when a movie fosters great discussion, even if it's challenging. <laughs> something along those lines.
1: My face has gone all red.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. It's great that you, that you you said it and not me for a change, because honestly, that is the number one reason why we are reviewing it here on the podcast is because I knew it would be a good conversation to have. And I will take that over a uh, default, you know, kind of review that we are like obligated to do on a weekly basis where it's like, okay, this is just the review of the week and it's like kind of like a shrug and let's just get through it. You know, this is one where I was like genuinely excited to talk about it because I think that any movie that does make you feel uncomfortable and is challenging you or even making you scared to voice an opinion on it, I think that's worth talking about. So, I'm glad that you said all of that. Truly.
0: <laughs> <Good>.
3: <laughs> You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rock Star and Death of a Sports Star. This is Death Ready? of a Film Star. And
5: I've been thinking a lot about authenticity. And this morning, in our next best picture next best picture chat, we were talking about I mentioned how they had filmed um her final scenes in Marilyn's actual home, and where, you know, Marilyn dies in the film is the room where, you know, Marilyn really did die. And as the film that's really not authentic about many parts of her life, it was interesting that they wanted to make sure that that was the most authentic thing about the film. And I just want to know how you guys feel about them, you know, having their version of Marilyn die
1: in the same place that she really did die. Like, how do we feel about something like that? That's a really good point of conversation that I definitely don't think I'm the right person to have the definitive answer on that. I will say, You know, in doing a little bit of research about her and her legacy, I was thinking a lot naturally about Elvis that came out this movie, which is a film I unabashedly love, and was thinking about all the people involved in making that film his family, his ex wife who supports his image, his children, and his grandchildren, who all, you know, have his best interest at heart. Marilyn doesn't have that. She has a third party company selling her image to all these other products and endorsements. So I don't know. It's, it's so, it's so complicated. I, I, God,
2: Um, my mentality, a lot of the times when it comes to, you know, being able to shoot on location, especially if the location still exists, um, is to obviously strive for authenticity. Like you were saying there, Sarah, but at the same time, yeah, for a movie that is taking so many liberties, I, I I I don't know. Like I'm I like I don't have a definitive take on this because I'm all for hey, let's just you know if the real set exists, if the real prop exists, if the real whatever exists, let's capture it in camera. Let's do it. You know, like I, I'm for that in a lot of cases, but. Something about, like, just this production, the intention behind it, the final result and how people are interpreting it. And, like, it's so messy and so inconsistent that I, I I just, like, yeah, it does rub me the wrong way. I can't help but feel a little icky about it, honestly.
6: Well, I think that also plays into the point that Eve brought up with this movie kind of wanting to have its cake and eat it too with the truth that they're, like, this movie has the mentality of that, yes, this is supposed to be a completely fictional account, but it does want to pull from real-life events, and it kind of wants to mix in the fact and the fiction. And I think that is very tricky with this subject matter, and I think that's where our... Complicated feelings about then using like the actual house and bedroom where she actually died in for that scene. Yeah, it feels a little exploitative at that point. And like for Mm. me, I don't really care. Like it's it's a bedroom. I if you had told me it wasn't the actual room, like it it shouldn't matter. Like in in terms of your storytelling for the movie. So that feels more like a pretentious move on Andrew Dominic's part, (laughs) to be honest. And I don't really feel like it adds that much to the movie. And it only complicates the sort of dark cloud that's around the entire production of the film exactly
2: yeah yeah
4: pretty much
6: yeah i couldn't have said that any better myself josh uh
2: sarah anything else
5: no i just wanted to know your thoughts on that because i've been pretty shook about it all day (laughs) (laughs)
2: thanks
4: internet
2: all right josh parm final thoughts
6: Uh, Yeah, there's a a few things at the end here that I want to mention. I I do also want to say about this movie's seemingly anti-abortion stance. I remember watching the film for the first time and thinking like, man, this is a really weird thing to put into this movie, especially right now. And I I will just say that from my perspective, and, uh, you know, I know people have a lot of opinions on this, and I think all those opinions are completely valid, especially for those that are more affected by it. But I feel like this movie has the, what I call the Clint Eastwood issue, which is when things are so blunt and there's no nuance to the storytelling, you can introduce an idea. And because you don't talk about it enough, it seems like the movie's endorsing it when it it really, I don't think the movie actually has a definitive stance, but because it doesn't ever really explore it in a meaningful way, it kind of seems like it is just saying, yes, the notion of abortion is immoral. I personally don't think the movie is actually saying that. I think we are supposed to be more so in Marilyn's perspective and her ideas about having children. Now, you can make an argument as to whether or not that is a valid um, perspective to have for Marilyn Monroe specifically. But I think that that is what the movie is trying to say. But because it is so blunted in storytelling, it seems like it is endorsing it, which is a very, very troubling and problematic. And for people that do read it that way, I think it is a very valid reading to have. And I, I absolutely agree that it's troubling the way that it's executed. I don't think there's complete ill intent with it, but it is a failing of the directorial execution and storytelling. Absolutely. Definitely agree with that.
2: Read the room, Andrew. Um, I, I completely agree, Josh. That's why I said earlier Good intention, bad intention, regardless of intention, this has been the majority held opinion, from what I can tell, of how people are interpreting what's in this movie.
6: Yes, and if there had been more discussion about like her actual perspective and her feelings about this in a more nuanced way, those... That reading would not be completely eliminated, but at least if it would have given you a little bit more context to dig through. The movie doesn't give you that, so therefore you have to kind of take it on face value. Exactly. And there's not enough material to really argue another way, unfortunately.
2: The Clint Eastwood problem. I like the sound of that. We're going to have to return to that <laughs> in the future. <laughs>
6: yeah. You watch enough Clint Eastwood movies, you realize that the storytelling is not his strong suit a lot of the times.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I do fully recognize, though, that it was meant to be you know, her perspective, her anxiety, her fear, she wanted a baby. Like, I get it. I do get it. It's just
4: Once you see it, it's very
6: hard to unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. The execution is not great. I, I will completely admit that. Um But I do have to say that while this movie does have a lot of problems, there were long stretches of it that I I did actually find myself captivated by it. Even though it is far too long, I definitely agree. There are some very striking sequences and even thematically i thought it did actually have some interesting commentary in terms of the toxic nature of the industry i think there's a scene later on where she's on an airplane that kind of goes in and out of her mental state and where she is that i thought was beautifully rendered. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. That that sequence, I think, is the best in the movie. I thought it was just absolutely incredible. And I think there's other moments where it shows, like, her process of method acting and how she's drawing for her memories that I thought was interesting, too. And and even with some of the supporting players, I know there's not a ton in here, but actually the one I really loved was Toby Huss, who played her makeup artist. Oh, yeah. That was a relationship I actually really wanted to see more of. And that scene where he... Sees her like just having this breakdown, and he just tells her, Okay, let's like, let's get Marilyn out now. I'm gonna, let's create Marilyn for you. And just, I thought that was another really great moment, too. So, there's like these pockets of sequences in this film that I think are just so captivating and so enthralling from both a craft perspective and even a storytelling perspective. The problem for me is just this movie is way too scattershot in its narrative. It's so unwieldy that it has no focus to really have those moments land with a consistent impact. And that's very disheartening, especially from Andrew Dominic, when I know that he can make a long movie and still be riveting and have this very morally complex story that you're still very engaged with. He's capable of doing that, but this was not the material that was appropriate to do it for. And it is very much lacking in that regard. But at the same time, there's like just enough elements in here that I do appreciate at least what it's going for. I appreciate the craft. I appreciate some of the performances that it's enough to like, just tip me slightly over the edge. It's not a strong recommendation, but I do see some value in what the movie is trying to do. It's just a very flawed execution.
2: I'm curious, Josh, outside of like cinematography, the score and a couple of other shared similarities with the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. Would you say like there is a fascination? I'm not, you know, maybe you have, I don't know, but I'm, but I'm just trying to think of like, similarities between the two films of deconstructing uh an an american icon
6: sure i think there's uh just something about kind of taking something that feels like a legend and yeah trying to get at the moral complexity behind it i think it is absolutely more effective in jesse james than it is here but i do i do think i am attracted to those ideas and it I mean, even killing them softly to a certain degree, you know, it's not about any one person specific. It's more so just like the American psyche in general. I find that to be a really interesting exploration. And it does seem like that is something that Dominic is fascinated by himself. But it was much more successful in his previous two movies than it is here.
4: Okay, Dan Baer. I just. The thing that I keep coming back to with this movie is that I just don't think it's as deep as Andrew Dominic thinks it is.
6: Yeah, I agree. (laughs) He, you know,
4: he's doing a lot with that screenplay and he's doing a lot with that direction. But it's all this, like, pretty things gussying up what is, at its heart, really just the same old... Marilyn Monroe mythology, we've heard so many times before. She was the sad girl who never got over the fact that she didn't know her father and was battling between Norma Jean and Marilyn and was just seen as a prize to be won by all of the men who, you know, weren't who didn't see her as, like, you know, a money-making machine for them. It, it There was an opportunity to really do something with this and have something to say about Marilyn Monroe, and instead, it just says all the same things, just, you know, with admittedly really re- much prettier cinematography than we've ever had before. And I would say, very arguably, uh, the best performance of Maryland that we've got. I really do like a lot of the technical elements. Cinematography is gorgeous. We haven't really talked about the score, but I absolutely adored
2: it. Yeah, same. Uh, same. Yeah. I, it's so dreamlike and yeah. ethereal and soothing, but also strange.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's the strangeness of it, I think, that really gets me, like, even when those moments when it is just like, it is like, you know, going to an 11 on the sad scale, um, it it sounds so different and striking that I'm really into what the movie is doing because of that. But it's because of all that window dressing that I'm really into this movie at all. I mean, the way it looks, and the anadarmus is that's really it. And I, I keep going like back and forth on how I would, you know, grade it, and I know we're getting to that part, because there are so many things I like about it, but just ultimately, the more and more I think about it, I'm just it's just like, I so appreciate the ideas, but they're not really doing anything. You know, all the things with the changing aspect ratios and colors, that seems like there's a meaning to it. And then as the movie goes on, you realize, oh, not so much. And you think they're going to do something interesting with Marilyn's character. And then you get to the end, it's like, well, not so much. And why are you going to put audiences through this when all you're going to say is the same thing that we've heard before with less subtlety? I don't think it's a good movie. I don't.
2: All right. Uh, I have very, very little uh, left to say here. So I'll just say Andrew Dominic went to the Martin Scorsese school of knowing how to photograph (laughs) flashbulbs, which I appreciate. (laughs) But other than that, (laughs) that was literally like my last note here. Um, This movie confounded me in ways that I expected and definitely did not. I'm pretty obsessed with the cinematography, the score, the editing transitions. I want to be, you know, very specific when I say that. Um. And added to Armis' performance, like I recognize that it is good. Once again, I don't lay any of the blame at her for why it didn't fully work for me or why I felt like it could have been a little bit better. Um, but this was a very elongated, torturous and empty, like you said, Dan maltreatment of an icon who i just think deserved far far better than this and it has some really extreme ideas and vision but it lacks cohesion and maybe if there was a different screenwriter and it was just andrew dominic directing it or maybe the other way around probably not the other way around but you know in any event this is just a misfire i think on a lot of different levels and for that reason i'm still captivated on by this on a technical level um i'm leaning negative though at the end of the day and i'm and i'm giving it literally one full point extra because of what eve was saying earlier about just how art whether you like it or not uh should be challenging and should push you into an uncomfortable zone sometimes to be able to talk about certain things. And I think this movie does do that. Um, even if it does get people pretty upset, I I fully recognize that, um, four out of 10 for me, but I wouldn't recommend it to people for the record. I really wouldn't. Sarah, what about you?
5: A three. Yeah.
2: <laughs> There's so many sighs on this. This episode might break the record for most sighs.
5: <laughs> it's sigh podcast. Take a shot every time we sigh.
2: <laughs> Dan Bear.
4: Uh I'm at a four out of ten. Evo Day?
1: I have to ask, did people walk out of your guys's screenings?
2: Uh not well, if they did, I didn't see them. Mm. I mean Dan and I were on were in like the aisle, uh, in the middle of the theater, so uh, anyone that sat behind us, I have no idea.
4: I saw some people that got up, but I also saw people, like, return at some point. <laughs> I don't know if that, you know, I don't break. know if people had to go to the bathroom or, <laughs> you know, take a call or if they actually left.
1: People did walk out of mine, which is surprising considering how few people were there. And
2: also, I was, was going to say, Eve, you made it sound like it was just you and Marilyn the whole movie. <laughs>
1: God, no, no, no. There were actually other people there. But, um, so, oh, God. I, I was panicked after I saw this because I was thinking, how the hell am I going to give this a numerical score? If it were up to me, Matt, I would decline to give it a score but I feel like you're not going to let me. So
2: No, of course not.
1: (laughs) Because my instinct is to give it a five right down the middle. But of course, that would be the same. I keep bringing this one film up. I almost feel bad. That would be the same score as Don't Worry Darling, which I, again, gave that score because of my extreme neutrality about this, about the way I felt about that film. Whereas this film, it's the total opposite. It's complete polarization. So I still think that leaves me at a five. And I do just want to reiterate that I think Anadarmis is he did a, had a stroke of genius in this film.
2: You know, for the record, you know, sometimes when I give five out of tens, it's because I can't figure out which way I'm leaning, if it's like truly negative or truly positive. And it is kind of like that neutrality vote, if you will. But also, too, I recognize uh, how sometimes it can also be like an indifferent uh, point of view. Where I don't really feel anything one way or another.
1: Oh no, but this is the opposite of that. <laughs>
2: I feel- yeah, no, 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 but but um, what I'm saying is like you're. It is the opposite of that where you have strong feelings, but you have strong feelings pulling you in both directions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like both meanings of a of a rating of five can apply. Is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Josh Parm, I have a feeling you're the highest.
6: Yeah, I, I am going to be the highest at a 6 out of 10. <laughs> so not like, again, not a glowing recommendation for uh, by any means. And probably also not a movie I will revisit frequently. But I do have to admit that there are moments in it that I found to be very effective in its filmmaking and its performances and even in its storytelling. It it doesn't come together in a very satisfying way completely. And I recognize all the problems that it has. but. I have to admit that the moments it had me, it really did. And that is just enough for me to say that I do mildly recommend it if you are in the mood for it. But if you're not, I also completely understand. Like, if you hate this movie and just think it's trash, like, I I ain't going to defend it that much. But I do see some value in it for me personally that I can, like, lean ever so slightly in the positive direction for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I've heard people give this, like, 1 out of 10, 2 out of 10, and they still acknowledge, like, yeah, it looks beautiful, it sounds great, don't give a shit.
6: I mean, <laughs> like, go to Letterboxd and look at the star ratings for this one, it's like a flat line. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it, I've never seen that before on Letterboxd. Ugh, love the chaos.
2: All right, well, speaking of chaos, Oscar potential.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yay. Low.
2: Listen, if I had my way, this would be getting nominated for at least cinematography and score.
4: Oh, yeah. And I mean, especially score. too.
2: Yeah. like But the reality that we're living in, <laughs> the Academy is not going to touch this movie. Not
4: with a 100 foot pole.
2: I think the NC-17 rating has a lot to do with that. I think the reactions to the movie also have a lot to do with that. I think the subject and context of the movie have a lot to do with that, too.
4: I yeah. wonder if... Um, some critics group is going to be brave and award or even nominate Anna de Armas. Oh, I'm sure
6: somebody will.
1: Can we create a new category where it is making a person look the most like a historical figure without the use of prosthetics?
6: <laughs> well, I mean, on that on that note, I I do think there's a world where this movie could end up on the makeup shortlist, especially given I how I had a feeling you were going to say that branch is. They make very strange decisions all the time, so. If I was going to bet that it would show up someplace, it would be there. I don't know if it will have the strength to get a nomination, but I think it could show up on the short list.
2: Here are the two things I'm predicting for this movie this season, and they're very, very specific. I do think this is going to show up as the random ASC nomination.
4: I would love that.
2: And the other prediction I have for this and, you know, lol, I think Ananda Armis might get a Golden Globe nomination out of this.
4: Oh, well, yeah, that'd be the most (laughs) Golden Globe thing ever.
6: Yeah, it would be. Uh, But outside of that, I mean. Uh, I really want that score. I really do. I know, uh, Josh. I do, too. Cave and Ellis should have been in there for the assassination of Jesse James. They should already be Oscar nominees. And this is another really (laughs) worthy score from them. I, I doubt that it will make that traction, but it really does deserve consideration, in my opinion. It's really, really great.
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, the just the reception to the movie, I I just don't think it's going to be on anybody's radar. I don't think so either.
4: I would
5: love cinematography, but. I'll just nominate it in my groups myself, I guess.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will be
5: there with you. God yeah, Gallica, let's go. Yeah.
2: I'll be doing like a little like silent, like voting, basically, Oh, cinematography score, yeah, okay. Just like slide that ballot there. Oh, nobody saw me do it, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't like once again, I don't think you, I don't think anybody should be ashamed to say that they think the cinematography or the score our greatness because there are times where it is great uh, especially the score the cinematography kind of suffers because of the inconsistency and in the aspect ratios the black and white and color
6: still can't figure it out still can't but figure it, it out but i, I try to have a narrative but it like i lost the thread halfway through the movie and it's like well okay i'm just i don't know what's happening
4: <laughs> it's literally pure aesthetics andrew dominic was like this is what this is how this scene will look best. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's the only thing that makes sense to me.
2: And even then I don't really know.
4: It looks like a couple hundred billion bucks. It really <laughs> does.
6: Like
2: Alright. Any any other thoughts on its awards potential or
6: No, I think this movie will be actually like quickly forgotten. It'll make a lot of splash once it hits Netflix and the discourse will continue for a bit. But I actually think that once we get into like mid October and the big stuff starts to hit, I we're not gonna be talking about this movie.
2: Agreed. All right, then. Sarah Clements, where can they find you on the internet?
5: You can find me on Twitter at Mildred's Eve Evo Day. Uh, you can
1: find me on Twitter at Eve on Film.
4: Dan Baer. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at
2: JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Blonde here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, we'll get some exclusive podcast content from us.